Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 88. When I was in college, I thought that I was broke because I didn't have a lot of extra money. But when you don't have a lot of extra money and you have debt, oh, that's broke, broke. It's time for a new American dream, one that doesn't involve working in a cubicle for 40 years, barely scraping by. Whether you're looking to get your financial house in order, invest the money you already have, or discover new paths for wealth creation, you're in the right place. This show is for anyone who has money or wants more. This is the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. How's it going, everybody? I'm Scott Trench. I'm here with my co-host, Miss Mindy Jensen. How are you doing today, Mindy? Scott, I am doing fantastic, like always. I feel like I always say that, but I really just am always doing fantastic. Like this is super exciting for me to be able to record this show all the time. And keeping with my super excited personality, I am super excited for today's guest. Ashley Likely reached out to you almost exactly two years ago. At the time she was 33, she was a single mom with quite the load of student loan debt. She had recently read an article that you wrote about getting your financial life in order before you start investing. And she reached out to you for advice. And you suggested that at the time, maybe entering into real estate investing may not be the best choice for her and recommended, you know, really cleaning up her, cleaning up is not the right word, recommended paying down her debt and getting into a more financially stable position before she started investing. And what's really awesome about her story is that not only did she read your email, she took your advice. And then on top of all of that, she let you know that she took your advice. And I just am so excited to hear her story today. Yeah. You know, I love it when folks email me with questions like that. I will say, uh, caveat, if you guys, someone were to email me about a financial problem or something like that, I'm getting quite a few these days, so I can't respond to very lengthy emails. So if you do write me an email, please keep it to like a hundred words or less or something like that. But I love, I love the ability to help folks with these types of, of situations. And, um, will almost always fire back with, with a response because I just want to want to help with, with these things. And I was shocked a couple of years later when, <laughs> when Ashley reached back and was like, hey, uh, yeah, I paid off 50K in student loan debts and I'm now thinking about becoming an investor. It was, it was amazing feedback. It, it great to actually have her on the show here to walk us through that whole situation, how she got there and then how she got out of it. Yeah, you know, it's not a huge surprise how she did it. She spent less than she earned and she aggressively took all the money that she had and threw it at her debt. This debt kept her up at night. This debt really gave her the anxiety and the heebie-jeebies. And she decided, you know what? I don't want that anymore. I'm going to get rid of it. And she took action. And here she is today, debt-free. Oh, oh Absolutely. I spoiled it. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and to caveat, you know, some of the things she did in her journey worked because personal finance is personal. And that's what she needed to do mentally and financially to get herself in position to begin attacking financial freedom from a position of zero net worth or whatever. Somebody else might have been comfortable with certain amounts of student loan debt or a difference in situation or different approach. So just keep that in mind as we go through the story. Fantastic, fantastic progress, monumental progress over the last couple of years. And I have no doubt she'll be a pretty successful real estate investor here over the next couple of years. I have no doubt either. And you know, it all stems from the fact that she took action. That is something that everybody can take away from this story. Your debt isn't going to go away. Your investing isn't going to start. Your life isn't going to change until you make different choices. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, 
we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. The easiest way to collect rent? RentApp. RentApp is a seamless, secure, free payment tool for small rental property owners like you and me. Built by a team of fintech veterans behind Square and Cash App, RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit rent directly into your account. Landlords love RentApp for its unbeatable convenience. Isn't it time you made rent collection easier? RentApp, the free and easy way to collect rent. Learn more at rent.app landlord. That's rent.app landlord. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, get paid first. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of the physical asset provide additional security in case of borrower default. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by redirecting your funds from Wall Street to Main Street, supporting local economies, and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors. But if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Take control of your investments and secure a stable 8% annual return today. Visit pinefinancialgroup.com biggerpockets to learn more about the fund. That's pinefinancialgroup.com biggerpockets. Ashley Likely, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. How are you doing today? I am fabulous. I'm so excited to be on this show. This is like, it has not hit me. I'm actually on <laughs> the Bigger Pockets Money Show. Really? <laughs> well, Scott and I are oh super God. excited to have you. I get a lot of emails. I know Scott gets a lot of emails with people who are in some sort of financial imperfectness. And they say, hey, what do you think I should do? And we will frequently take the time to write them a note and then never hear them again. I don't know if they haven't taken the advice or if they haven't done anything with it, but I was so excited when Scott sent me your note. He's like, look at this. Two years ago, Ashley sent me an email and then here she followed up two years later and has, I mean, spoiler alert, has completely changed her financial outlook. So I can't wait for you to share your story with our listeners because sometimes you hear all these people, oh yeah, I'm already a millionaire, I'm already a millionaire. Yeah, great. Yeah. Here's somebody who is making huge strides, has made huge strides already and is now ready to begin her just meteoric rise to the top. Yes. So yes. Ashley, yes. tell me where your journey with money begins. Okay. I'm the oldest of three girls. 
And I grew up in a very middle-class family, two-parent household. My dad was a well-known principal in our city, and my mom was a well-known school teacher. So both my parents were in education. We were middle-class. We had a nice two-story home. We had everything we needed. We didn't have everything we wanted, but we did have our needs met. My mom basically handled the finances. And in our household, my mom was big about paying her bills on time, but she spent money as well. So my mom is the um, mom that whenever she goes out to the store, she's going to come back home with bags of stuff, just stuff, just random stuff. And it was not usually for us, for her kids. She never bought us toys. My dad always bought that type of stuff, but it would just be clothes, shoes. Even now that we're grown, I'm 35 years old. My youngest sister is about to be 30. When she goes out, she'll still bring things to us like kitchenware, sheets for our bed, just things for our kids. So she's always been a shopper. That's what she does. And she typically always shops on credit. So I learned later on in my life that once I realized that I was using credit cards too much that I picked up the habit from my mom and I consciously had to break it. But she shops on credit. She'll swipe that credit card, but she's always paying it off, paying lump sums on her credit card. But she uses credit cards. She's never behind with her credit cards, but she uses credit cards. She's never behind on her bills. She always pays her bills off, but she does use credit cards. So that's the mindset that I realized that I grew up in. And I did realize that once I got to college and I went to Auburn University for my undergraduate degree. And of course, being a college student, you're low on funds. My parents paid for my housing because I lived off campus. I had student loans to pay for my education. But as far as my housing and self-care, my parents would send me money and they send me an extra $200 every month. Well, $200 does not go far. And then I had two younger sisters, so I've never been the type to really ask people for things. So I just kind of made it work, you know, unless I really needed some extra money. So I worked side jobs to make a little extra money, but I did start getting credit cards. The first one I got was when I worked at Dillard's, a department store. So as an employee, we had to get a credit card in order to make our employee purchases. So I just started swiping away. I love shoes. I just started swiping away. I was a shopper too. And then... As time went on, I had more and more credit cards. You know, if you go to like Old Navy or TJ Maxx or any store, basically, if you open a credit card, what do you get? Like 10% off discount. A discount. Yeah, that's really (laughs) sneaky that Dillard's made you open up a credit card in order to get your employee discount. Yeah, it was. Initially, we used it as a debit card. You could load money on it, if I'm not mistaken. But over time, it turned into a credit card. And I was like, what? So I just, I swiped, swiped and swiped and swiped and swiped. Um, I never had, you know, having, not having much credit history, I never had huge credit limits. I might have a credit limit of 200 or $1,000. But when you have like five or six or seven credit cards, that can really add up, right? So um, when I was in college, you know, I worked and I would make my minimum payments on my credit cards with the money that I made working. And then once I graduated from college, um, I went to grad school and I wasn't working. I couldn't work. 
but I was still swiping credit cards. At that time, my dad was giving me like a $200 allowance. So that $200 he gave me, I had to put it right back on my credit card. So now here I am at square one. I don't have any gas money because I had to pay put my money on my credit card. So now I'm swiping for my gas. So it was a revolving circle. So 2009, I graduate from graduate school. And now I'm working as a speech therapist in a school system in Mississippi. Well, when I first started working my first year, I don't even think I was making $2,000 a month. Okay, and I'm driving 45 miles to, to work one way. Wait, Ashley, oh. Ashley, so when you graduate from college in this situation, how much total debt did you have from credit cards? I really cannot remember the total, but I would say... It wasn't a lot. I'd say maybe $2,000. The most credit card that I've ever carried at one time was $4,000. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so you, you graduate and you have a couple thousand dollars in credit card debt, and that's pretty much your financial position when you go to start work? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah, I had. I graduated with 77000 in student loans and about 2000 in credit card debt. Oh, wow. That's a, Yeah, okay. A lot of debt. Mm-hmm. Got yeah. It. And... um. I was living with my parents my first year that I worked. So I really only had to pay for my necessities, you know. I didn't have to pay rent or anything, but I also was not making, I, I might have been making right at $2,000 a month. Got it. And so with a couple thousand, well, probably at, at this time, I probably had my $4,000 of credit card debt. So my minimum payment was about $100 a month at least. So, you know, by the time I do pay my little bills, had a little gas money, before the end of the month, I was back at zero. So what am I doing? I'm swiping my credit card again. So when I was in college, I thought that I was broke because I didn't have a lot of extra money. But when you don't have a lot of extra money and you have debt, oh, that's broke, broke. That's broke. Okay. (laughs) So it was a cycle. It was just a cycle. And I realized that Sometimes I would find myself not being able to sleep well at night because I would think about the credit card debt that I had and how am I going to pay this back? Or I think about how much student loans I racked up, which, mind you, all of that $77,000 was not necessity. That was shopping sprees, trips, all types of stuff (laughs) that I used those student loans to do while I was in college. Oh, wait, you didn't just pay for college? No, we we heard that from, Scott? (laughs) Didn't somebody use a scholarship to buy an engagement ring? Oh, yeah. Somebody, yeah, we have people doing crazy things with their yeah. student loans. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people do some great stuff. With oh, students, if you're here, are you listening to this and you're getting student loans, just use them for your education. And minimize but, them as much as possible. Please, please. But Ashley, that's, you're not the only person that's ever done this. So don't, I'm not like telling you you're a bad person. I agree with you. Please listen. Yeah, my mom tried to tell me, don't you get those loans? You don't need all of that. I wouldn't listen. And then now to this day, she was say, I tried to tell you. Well, I didn't listen. You're also not the only 18 year old who didn't listen to their parents. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So, so you graduate in this position, you're making $2,000 a year with a long commute and crippling debt. Mm-hmm. So how, do, how long does that position continue for? And then when do you kind of decide to attack the problem? Okay. So after me, okay. So maybe within my second year of working as a speech therapist, I decided to use my tax return, my income tax return and pay off my debt 
on my credit card. So that's what I did. And once I did that, no, it, it was the second year that I worked. And it might have been before I went into my second year. I took my tax return, paid off my credit card debt. And then going into my second year, I bought a house. So I bought a townhouse that was a foreclosure. This was 2010 now. It was a very good deal. My mortgage was only like 500 and something dollars for three, two and a half bathrooms. So my living expenses were, and then my income increased about $300 too. And where was this? This is in Mobile, Alabama. Mobile, Alabama. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so my income increased about $300. So at that time, I was bringing home about $2,200 a month, which still isn't much. But I um, took my tax return, paid off my credit card. I bought a house. And what made me really buckle down and rethink the way that I was, re-shift my mindset as far as living and using credit cards and living on credit was when I bought my house, I said, well, Ashley, you have a house now. It's time for you to buckle down. You can't do a lot of extra spending. You paid your credit card off. You know how it feels to be stressed out and worried about having debt that you really can't afford to even pay. So at that point, I decided that I was not going to use any credit cards anymore. I was going to live within my means. Like I told you earlier, I love shoes. I love to shop, but I literally went cold turkey. What used to get me in trouble was when I would be bored or just, you know, wanted to waste time, I would go to stores like the mall and say, well, I'm just looking. And then I come out with bags because I have this credit card and I saw something that I really just felt like I really needed. So I just stopped going to the mall. I just stopped. And when I bought my house, it was a nice house, but it was built in 1975. So it needed some touch-ups. It needed some updating. I did the basics. I bought everything on cash. I bought paint. I had a paint party. My friends and I painted the downstairs. The floor had that, you know, like a little sticky vinyl that you stick down on the floor. Some pieces were torn up. I didn't replace it. It's still not replaced. It's 10 years later because... I was not going to finance a thing to update that house. If I wasn't going to pay cash for it, it wasn't going to get done. And so over the years, I still have that townhouse, which I'm written out right now. But I guess we'll get to it. We'll get to it further in the story. But I had other plans to my money. Instead of using my money to shop or make my house look so beautiful, I wanted to save money and start a journey of financial freedom. So that's a pretty good plan. Okay, so you bought a townhouse. You decided I'm not going to be in debt anymore. You okay. had credit card debt that you paid off with your, this is in 2010. You had credit card debt that you paid off with your tax return. You mm-hmm. still had student loan debt, correct? Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay, and when did you graduate from college? I missed that. In 2009. 2009, okay. Mm-hmm. So when did you start paying off your credit card debt, or your student loan debt? Okay, so you get a six-month grace period once you graduate from college to start paying back your loans. And you also get, I think it's a 36 months of forbearance or deferment. So over the course of the first five years of my career, when I worked in the school system, making about $2,200 a month, I um, would work out payment plans with Sally Mae. I would say, hey, I can't afford this payment. What can we do? And they lower my payment. And then every so often, I would also forbear my loan. So over the course of the first five years, I used my 36 months of forbearance. And my student loan payment, the lowest 
that we were able to get it was, well, when I was working in the school system, my payments were a little bit lower. I think like $300. Um, I was on an income-based repayment. I aggressively attacked my student loan debt in 2017. Got it. Okay. So that was, so two years ago, you started, you started attacking the, the student mm-hmm. loan debt. What was the, your situation going into that change? Is, was there, a, was there a, cer- a set of circumstances or did you just decide to get your finances in order or what was happening in 2017 from your income, expenses, lifestyle that changed and prompted you to pay down the student loan debt? Okay. About 2015, I had a coworker and she was all about debt freeness, uh, having an emergency savings account, investing. I knew nothing about that stuff. I knew nothing about it. And she was the one that got me intrigued and inspired to actually start saving money. So at that time, I started saving money and we would, you know, talk about our savings, you know, encourage each other to save as much money as we could. So that was the first time I ever had a a real savings account where I didn't go back in and touch my money. So from that, a seed was planted. And then I just started doing research and learning about investing like in the 401k. And I started looking at the podcast on my phone. And then that's when I came across Bigger Pockets and other podcasts that was, it was just a wealth of knowledge that I didn't even know existed. So at that point, I was also interested in real estate. I hadn't started doing any research. I just felt that that's what I wanted to do. So in 2017, I have a cousin that's a real estate investor. We linked up and we were going to start looking for an investment property. And so how I got my down payment for an investment property was I cashed out my retirement in Mississippi where I was a school-based speech therapist because I wasn't working in Mississippi anymore. I cashed out that retirement. I had about $26,000, might've been a little bit more, but after the penalty and the taxes, they sent me a check for $22,000. And at that time, I also had some money, like probably four months to six months in my emergency savings account. So at that time, I was going to use that money plus about $10,000, $22,000, plus about $10,000 from my own personal savings to buy an investment property. Well, at that time, I was big on bigger pockets, and I came across your blog, Scott, and I cannot remember the name of it, and I searched the other day for the name of the blog, but I can't remember the name of it. But basically... Do you want me to tell what the blog kind oh, of surprises? I'm sure we, it doesn't matter, but you came, so you came across a blog post written by some guy. <laughs> yeah, I came across this blog post written by Scott. And basically the blog changed my perspective on what how I was going to use that money. So I was going to use that money to get an investment property, which of course I would be purchasing an asset, but also it would have also been a debt as well. And at that time, I wasn't sure if I should go buy a property because even though I had an emergency savings account, I didn't have a whole lot of capital. Like if something happened with that investment property or if it took me a few months to find a renter or something like that, then it would really crush me. So I found your blog post and basically it talked to us about how reducing your debt, decreasing your debt or eliminating your debt is a very overlooked but practical way to, in so many words, increase your income. I mean, you're not making extra money, but your outgo, the money that you're spending out on bills and debt, you're retaining that money. 
So when I read that blog post, it just really made me stop about what I was about to do and think. And I said, well, you know what, Ashley, you have, at that time I had like 56,000 in student loan debt then. I said, you just have about 56,000 in student loan debt. That's a huge chunk of your money. My student loan payment was $430. And I had a mortgage, which was like 500 or something dollars. I wasn't in a rush to pay down my, to pay off my mortgage. But if I could eliminate that student loan, what could that really do for me? Like mentally, stress-wise, and financially. Do you remember what the interest rate on that student loan debt was? I had a lot of different loans. I mean, it was probably 17 different loans. So they all range from maybe like two point something all the way up to 10 point something. Hmm. When you paid them off, did you pay them off highest interest first, smallest balance first? What was your kind of strategy to paying that off? Or did you just attack it with a large lump sum? I attacked it with large lump sums. I okay. just... So you took you took that cash, that forty ish thousand or a big chunk of it, and plopped it against the student loan debt. Yeah, so it was thirty six thousand. Twenty two was from my retirement, and then thirteen thousand of it was from my savings account. Got it. And so and after and so then you were left with about twenty ish thousand dollars in debt. Mm-hmm. It was between eighteen and twenty thousand. Nice. And then so what were your approach from there? Was it to to tackle and eliminate that debt as aggressively from there? Okay, so you're asking how did I aggressively attack that debt from there? Is that, is that what you did? Yes, that's the question. Okay. Yes, that is what I did. So as a speech therapist, I can work per diem, P-R-E-M, which is not, uh, better known as just working extra hours. If another facility needs some extra help, they'll call me. I can say, yes, I can work or no, I can't work. And I can tell them how many hours I can work. So my plan to eliminate that additional, I think it was about $18,000 of student loan debt, was to just work as much PRN as I possibly could and just stack it all and not spend any of it on anything other than paying off my student loans. And mind you, I did have like an additional probably $5,000 that I, I, I kept in my savings account. So that was still there too. So over the course of two years, I worked as much PRN as I could. And I saved it. So that, that's awesome. Just like aggressive extra income generation to pay down the student loan debt, all that kind of stuff. What, what about your lifestyle? Did you did you go even more disciplined on the on the expense side of it? Did you maybe do any cutbacks on the, the lifestyle or anything like that? Or was it mostly through extra income? Well, ever since I've um, been working and living in my home, I've been consciously very frugal. But some things that I actually did do over the course of those two years when I was paying down the student loans, was I avoided getting a car note. Within that course of two years, my car was a 2010. And I started having a lot of problems with it, like minor problems, but it was you know one thing after another. So what I decided to do, which my parents had to talk me into doing it because I was just going to continue driving that car. My sister bought a new car. And so she sold me her old car for $3,000. So that, having to buy that car pushed me back a few months as far as paying down my loans to zero balance, but I was able to pull from my savings account. And instead of buying a new car and getting a car note, I bought the car for cash for $3,000. That's one thing I did. I aggressively avoided car notes. I don't use credit cards. If I do use my credit card, it's for something that might be business related or something that I know I can pay back at the next billing cycle. I'll have to add this too. I pay my tithes. So I think that's a big thing too, is tithing. 
I haven't vacationed very much. It's something that I love to do. I really like to travel, but I have definitely not done that as much as I would have liked to because I've been shoveling as much money as I was able to shovel into my account for paying back my student loans. Listen, vacation's nice, but you know what's even nicer? No debt. You are right about that. I agree. I agree. (laughs) When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. Pretty good episode, right? While you were listening, you could have been getting paid rent with RentApp. Landlords love RentApp because it makes rent collection a breeze. RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit funds directly into your account. Setup is straightforward for renters. Landlords don't need to download anything. Both have peace of mind with a digital transaction history. Isn't it time you made landlording a little easier? Rent app, the best way to pay or collect rent. Learn more at rent.app slash landlord. That's rent.app slash landlord. You're trying to close on your next rental. So why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. You're trying to save, trying to invest, but your bank account is stuck. How about we get rid of some of those unused subscriptions you forgot about? Trust me, with Rocket Money, it's easy. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Take control over your subscriptions and cancel your unused ones with just a few taps. Create a custom budget, view spending habits, and let Rocket Money negotiate to lower your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. That's rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. What's your position today? So my position today is almost free. I feel free. The only debt that I carry right now is my mortgage. I owe zero. As of March 2019, I owe zero. 
um, dollars on student loans. That's all. <laughs> well, that's pretty good, right? So it sounds like you paid off $56,000 in student loan debt in well, two years. Yes. I'm doing that. That's 2017 to 2019. So that's not bad. So what's what's next for you? Well, I'm not in a rush to pay my mortgage down. I guess I could tell you about me house hacking. Yes, yes, please. Okay. And and also cover why you're not in a hurry to pay down your mortgage because I think that this perspective is important too. For me personally, I'm not in a rush to pay my mortgage down because my mortgage payment is not a burden on me. It's uh, only, I think it might be $600 now because I think my property taxes went up or something, but it's no more than $600 a month. It's not a burden for me. And I think that's really the only, per- for me, that's the only reason I'm not in a huge rush to pay it off. Do you remember what your mortgage interest rate is? 425 4.25 is still in the historically low range of mortgage interest rates. And I would not be in any hurry to pay that down either. Although the only time really that I would recommend somebody pay down their mortgage is when they can't sleep at night. Oh, having this debt gives me the heebie-jeebies. I can't, I have so much anxiety. Then pay it off. By all means, don't make me happy because you have a low interest rate and then keep yourself up at night. Yeah. Uh, you know, if it bothers you, pay it off. And if it doesn't bother you and you have a low rate, Keep it because you're never going to get these low rates again. Although I keep saying that and then they keep going down. <laughs> Hopefully they'll go a little bit lower. And importantly, in distinction against the student loan debt, that 4 point, uh, I just forgot the number. 4.25% uh, interest rate that you were discussing here for the mortgage, that is actually much, still much lower than the blended interest rate across your student loans, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, many, sure. many students. Student loans, for those who are not familiar, often come in, in buckets of a few thousand bucks and they'll have totally different, a few hundred to a few thousand bucks and they'll have totally different student loan rates. You can get them all repackaged into one loan with a student loan refinance, but it sounds like yours were not and it, and it was a blended set of rates. Yeah. And for me, like what you just said, Mindy, the student loans is what really stressed me out. That's, that's what kept me up at night. That is what I jokingly, but I was serious, would always say, I'm going to take these student loans to the grave. I'm not trying to pay these student loans because it just, the mountain was so huge and I just felt helpless. I mean, I never thought that I'd be able to pay off that much debt. And I guess just for me to not really worry about it, I just kind of just pushed it in the back of my mind. I said, I'm not going to worry about these loans. I'm just going to do what I can do. But when I decided that I wanted to embark on a financial journey of freedom, that's when I decided that I wanted to go ahead and and tackle it. And thanks to Scott, you are the reason that I shifted my perspective on that. Yeah. And you know what? I like that comment. I just felt like I put them in the back of my mind. I didn't do anything about it. Well, if that's what you're going to do, then they will stay there forever. You have to bring them back to the front and then aggressively get them out of your mind by paying them off. And that's, you know, there's no secret to paying off debt. It's not like, you know, rub the lamp three times and then all of a sudden your debt's gone. The secret is pay more than the minimum, keep paying it, pay it all, pay, 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 and then they go away. Yeah. Yeah. Sacrifice. It's a lot of sacrifice. It is a lot of sacrifice. I mean, somebody gave you money. In exchange, you got a college degree, but somebody gave you money and now you have to give them the money back. And that's, you know, that's how that goes. That's how a loan works. Yeah. (laughs) 
pretty much. <laughs> okay, um, so, so tell us about your house hack. Okay, so house hacking, being active on bigger pockets like reading the blogs and listening to the podcast. Often, I just started think, trying to think of ways that I could just get more creative and increase my income or decrease my expenses and things like that. I've been pretty good with doing those type of things. And I always, uh, well, for the last several years, I would think about, you know, if I could move in with one of my parents and then rent my house out. But like I told you previously, I've done minor upgrades to my house, but I don't think it's at a point where I could get the maximum rent. There's still some updating that I would need to do to it. But the situation just so happened to work out perfectly. This past April, my sister got married. But prior to them getting married, I talked to her and her fiance about them renting my townhouse if they weren't able to find a house that they wanted to buy at that point. Because from the time they got engaged to their actual wedding was six months. So it didn't leave them a lot of time to actually look for a house and possibly find something that they would be happy with. So I told them, if y'all don't find a house right away, then y'all, why don't you all rent my house out? I can move in with my dad. And that's what we did. So they're renting my house. They're only paying my mortgage. I, I didn't charge them anything extra. They're paying the mortgage portion. So with that being said, I'm able to save about 400 extra dollars a month. I moved in with my dad. He lives in the house that we grew up in. So it's a little older now. And it also needs some sprucing up. So instead of me just giving my dad money for rent, I just take the money every month and just do something to upgrade or update the house. Like last month, I bought a mailbox and some other things. And we got the mailbox put up because the mailbox was kind of, the door was coming off of it. So I just do things to help spruce up his house. And my sister and her husband are paying my mortgage. So, and then how I'm helping my sister is, my mortgage is cheaper than what they, than an apartment they will rent. Like if they were to get a three bedroom apartment, my mortgage is cheaper than a three bedroom apartment. So it's helping them to save money as well. So in this house hacking situation, I believe that we're all helping each other. Interesting. So how, how much money are you able to save every month under this arrangement in total for your personal position? I'm able to save about 400 extra dollars a month. So what is that? What is that in total? Is that a couple thousand a month or with that? Okay. Okay. So in total, well, I guess I have to tell, tell it to you like this. Since I paid off my student loans, that's an additional $317 that I'm saving. I was already saving $300 a month. And now I'm saving, by living with my dad, I'm saving an extra $400 a month after I pay him rent. Well, you know, pay, put money aside to help with the rent here. I'm saving an extra 400. So I'm saving $1,000 a month. And what are your plans with that money? I'm rebuilding my emergency savings account, which I like to call it a prepared savings account instead of emergency. And then but I'm once, once you've, uh, how big will that need to be for you to feel comfortable? I think it should be about $25,000. I think that'll be about five to six months of my income. And plus, I just started listening to your book, Set for Life. And that was one of the first things that you advised us to do is have $25,000. Awesome. So after you get that $25,000, what are you going to do next? What, what, have you thought to that level yet? I have. After I get the $25,000, I want to start purchasing rental properties. That's, nice. that, that 
is going to be my ticket to financial freedom. So I'm definitely all about becoming a real estate investor. That's awesome. I would recommend when you buy these rental properties, buying them as an owner occupant, which gives you the lowest interest rate on the mortgage possible. It comes Mm -hmm. with a one-year occupancy agreement, which means that you promise to live in there for a year. You Mm -hmm. need someplace to live anyway. Then when you move out, you have this super low owner-occupant interest rate for the life of the loan, Mm -hmm. but you don't have to live there anymore after the year. So owner-occupant. Yep. So you you buy it. Now, you do have to actually live there for a year. But that's not hard. I mean, you need to live someplace every year. So you buy the property, you, you know, while you're there for the year, you fix it up to make it, you know, tenant ready. And then you move out, maybe move back with your dad, move in with your sister for a little bit while you're getting another property. I can be a nomad. On and on and on. That's what you do, have done in the past, isn't it, Mindy? Have you done Uh, that? So I live in Flip. So I move in under the owner occupancy agreement. I actually have to live there for two years and then pay no capital gains taxes. But then I sell my properties when I'm done. I don't, I don't rent them out. This is what Scott has done. Okay. Okay. I remember listening to your podcast episode, Mindy, when you were talking about the live in Flip and I had never heard of that before. That is a great way to generate I don't know the mobile market, so I can't say that it's a great way to generate in mobile, but mm-hmm. it's a great way to generate income just by living in a house that's ugly and then making it not ugly anymore. Yeah, I like that idea a lot. I do too. Thank you for that. <laughs> I, I think you've got a lot of great opportunities in front of you, and it seems like you're going to be starting from a position where I imagine you're going to have great credit. You have a, a very no debt besides a very reasonable mortgage. And you have lots of different options ahead of you, which are going to continue to compound as you continue to build up that, that what was it called? It, it wasn't an emergency fund. It was planned. Always prepared. Always prepared fund. Yeah, I love that. I got that from um, this lady named Ashley Fox. Well, she's the founder of Empify. It's a stock uh, group that I'm in as well. We also have a book club and she's really positive and everything. And, you know, a lot of people say that your words can manifest. So instead of saying emergency fund, we say always prepare. Nice. All right. Well, as you build that fund, you're going to just find these opportunities multiplying before you. And it seems like there's really accessible real estate in your local market too in Mobile. It is. I would say it is. It's not $300,000 for <laughs> a lower end house like it would might be in Denver, for example. It's it's probably much more affordable. It is a lot more affordable. Scott, I don't know if you remember Rich Carey from episode 268 of the Real Estate Investing Podcast invests in Alabama. And I thought it was Mobile, but it might be Montgomery. That is a great episode to listen to. I happened to co-host that episode, but that's not why you should listen to it. You should listen to it because it's good. It's biggerpockets.com slash show 268. 268. I got it. And that's, he's actually in the military. He lives in Korea and invests in Alabama. He pays cash for his houses and rents them out and is going to have quite the retirement fund through real estate investing when he gets out of the military. Wow. I need to listen to that. Yeah, it's a great episode. He's really, really knowledgeable. Yeah, I'll have to check the location. I want to say it's Huntsville, but I I could be wrong. It might be, you might be right with the Montgomery. 
Yep. Well, either way, he's in Alabama. So, you know, it's not like he's in California doing this. He's in a similar area. Okay. I'm going to definitely check that episode out. Well, anything else you want to add before we move on to the Famous Four? No, we can move on to the Famous Four. Okay. It's time for the Famous Four. These are the same four questions and one command that we ask of all of our guests. Ashley, are you ready? I am ready. What is your favorite finance book? My favorite finance book is The Millionaire Mindset by T. Harv Ecker. That is a good one. I think Aaron Lowry, or Lowry, I always mess up her last name. Lowry, yeah. Yeah, Aaron Lowry from Brooke Millennial recommended that exact same book, didn't she, Scott? I believe that was her, yes. Yeah, that's a great book. That's an excellent book. It is. I don't know if I've read that one. What What are some of the best things about it? So basically, that book helps me to also change my thinking pattern. It helps you examine your thinking patterns. Like, what are your thoughts around money? What are your thoughts around success? What are your thoughts around yourself? Like your internal thoughts. And it helped me to realize what some of my negative thoughts were around money and success. And also what I love about this book is that it actually gives you action steps. Like at the end of each chapter, it gives you action steps, things that he actually wants you to do and put out there so that you can manifest those things. And it also has you to repeat a declaration, like after every chapter. I can't remember the declaration, but it's something positive where you have to touch your head, then you touch your heart, and then you say this declaration. That is awesome. That To me, that is a book that should not be read just once and put on the shelf. That's a reread, like a yearly annual reread. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and never underestimate the power of positive thinking because mm-hmm. your mindset is going to take you so far. I mean, yeah, you have to do the work, but if you're trying to do the work and, oh, this is going to take forever and, oh, this is so awful. Yeah, it's going to take forever and it's going to be so awful. If you're like, I am so excited to pay off my debt. I am going to do this. You're going to do it. Yeah, that is true. And you will only go as far as your mind will let you go as well. All right, what was your biggest money mistake? We talked about a couple. So student loans. Why did I do that? Those student loans. I I definitely should have been more conservative about those loans, but it was ignorance. Ignorance is not bliss, but it was ignorance. I didn't understand credit and I thought that I would be making so much money when I graduated from school. So, you know, just being young and naive, but the student loan debt was definitely a mistake. Love it. What is your best piece of advice for people who are just starting out on the same journey that you were? Okay, of course, avoid debt. If at all possible, avoid debt. Don't try to feel the pressure of trying to do what you see on social media, living outside of your means, live within your means and be happy with that. And just be happy with building your wealth and just having fun, being frugal. But the main thing I want to say is fear, 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 fear. Denounce it at all costs. Do not let fear guide your path in your life. Um, If there's something in your heart that you want to do, do it. My biggest regrets in life are the things that I didn't do because I was too afraid to do them. And also, do not let other people dictate to you how you 
should live your life as far as don't let people put their opinions or their fears or um, their what they think you should do or what they've seen other people do or what they've done. Don't listen to other people's opinions. If it's something that you really want to do, do it. And that's just point blank. I'm I, think it's great. I think it's great. And I think that that's completely true, except for when it comes to personal finance, in which case you should do exactly what we, me and Mindy say. <laughs> I, I did what you said. I did what you said. <laughs> I love that. As Mindy says all the time, personal finance is personal. It is. Personal, right? That's, uh-huh. it's, that's what it is, right? It's do exactly what you want to do. And this is all up to you and your choice. And <laughs> I love that. I think it's, I think it's great. Don't let fear guide it. And I think a lot of fear probably comes from ignorance. Mm-hmm. So the less I you agree. know about this stuff, the, or, you know, maybe that can have, that can have an impact on your life decisions if you're afraid of money or whatever. I agree. All right. What is your favorite joke to tell at parties? So I, did, I didn't have too many jokes. So I found one that I thought was funny because it can be appropriate for the money podcast. You know, a lot of us are investors. We want financial freedom. We don't want to be dependent on our W-2 paycheck. Now, but let me preface it by saying this. I truly do enjoy my job. I love my coworkers and everything like that. So this isn't for me, but I'm sure somebody can relate. And I just thought it was funny. So here it is. Why did the can crusher quit his job? I don't know why. It was soda pressing. <laughs> so like, it was yeah. soda pressing. That's a great pun. <laughs> Scott will now use that in the office. I can promise you. <laughs> nice. I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to use that one. I love how quick Scott is, but I hate his jokes because they're terrible. <laughs> I am the... <laughs> I'm the only person in the office who hates his jokes. Everybody else loves them. Oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. Don't do Scott like that. Oh, I, now I'm the president of his fan club. I'm just not the president of his joke fan club. The joke wow. fan club. <laughs> well, you won for two, Scott. Fair enough. <laughs> okay. Ashley Likely, where can people find out more about you? Okay. So I'm not very social on social media, but... I do have a Facebook page, which is um, Ashlyn, A-S-H-L-Y-N. And my Instagram name is just a portion of my last name and my my first name. So it's L-I-K-E-L-A-L. And that's all. I love that. And we will put links to this in the show notes, which can be found at biggerpockets.com slash money show 88. Ashley, this was wonderful. I really appreciate you sharing your story with us. And I'm so happy for your success. Thank you so much. I appreciate you all for reaching out to me. Thank you so much, Scott, for responding to my email. I, I just put it out there. I didn't know. I did, really didn't think you were going to respond. <laughs> but this was actually something that I said years ago. Like, maybe one day you'll be successful enough to be on the Bigger Pocket show. Like, thinking of the real estate before the money show came out, you know. And I'm on y'all's show. I can't believe it. So, God is good, first of all. And thank y'all so much. Thank you, Mindy. I really do appreciate it. It's really been an honor. But most of all, I really do hope that somebody that's in my similar situation, we'll get some inspiration from this story. That's my biggest hope. 
Absolutely. We know, we know they will. And, you know, I hope that we do get to have you back on the show, maybe on the real estate podcast or back here after you've become a successful real estate investor with a couple of rental properties and are starting to cash flow those. So definitely look forward to that. I have no doubt that you'll be there in a few years. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. And that's why we do this show. Just like you said, you hope somebody gets inspiration. That's exactly why we do this. We like to hear from different people and their stories. And, you know, one thing we hear over and over again is that this isn't difficult. This isn't some big mathematical problem. Mm -hmm. Spend less than you earn, pay off your debt, start investing over and over and over again. So we are in the start investing phase and I can't wait to see where you go. Okay, Ashley, thanks again for your time and have a great day. Bye-bye, y'all too. All right, that was Ashley Likely. Mindy, what'd you think? Oh, hugely inspirational. Hugely inspirational. I love her story. And like I said in the beginning, I love that she took action. That is the difference between Ashley Likely from 2019 and Ashley Likely from 2017. Ashley Likely from 2017 was kind of plugging along, but Ashley Likely from 2019 crushed it. Yep. I think it's just outstanding and amazing progress. And she said it best, I think, I I can't remember what minute of the, the show, but she said it best when she was like, I feel free. I feel free based on that. That kind of really struck a chord with me that that weight is off her shoulders and she feels ready to kind of attack the next phase of of her financial journey here. Yep. And that's the last check that you write to your student loans. I'm assuming the last check you write to your mortgage, although I've never paid one off. The last check you write is like the happiest check ever. Just, uh, well, I guess, okay, you probably don't write checks. You probably do it online. But I wrote a physical check because the internet didn't exist when I paid off my husband's student loans. And I wrote out a check and I was like, woohoo, last check. Yay. So yes, it is very freeing to be out of debt. Scott, shall we get out of here today? Well, well, two things before we get out of here. One is we mentioned in the intro, but I want to just kind of show that that her success here was compounded by the fact that she's a, a single mom. She didn't mention that a single time during the interview, but I do want to, to say that, hey, kudos to her for also kind of overcoming childcare and those all those other obstacles that come along with with being a single mom and achieving this this over the last two years. And then second, we mentioned earlier in the show the email that she emailed me with her financial situation and asked looking for some advice. And I want to clarify that before I get a huge flood of emails from everybody who listened through to this. From time to time, people do just send me an email and it's got an entire financial situation with lots of detail. I mean, it's a rather lengthy email. And while I try to respond to these as best I can, that can put me in a little bit of a difficult situation sometimes. So if you're going to email me and reach out looking for advice, I'm always happy to chat, scott at bickerpockets.com. But I would appreciate a maybe short or succinct 100 word or less uh, email that that kind of maybe asked a specific question rather than kind of maybe an open-ended question or that sort of thing. Ashley did a really good job and gave me a very specific set of circumstances and a specific questions, which made answering your email great. But just want to throw that out there as I know that was a contextual part of this podcast episode before I get lots of, lots of email, a flood of book-long emails that have lots of detail that will be difficult for me to respond to. Yep, yep. And I think that's nice. Now, shall we get out of here, Scott? Let's get out of here. Okay, from episode 88 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, he is Scott Trench and I am Mindy Jensen. And we will see you later, alligator.
there's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the BiggerPockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping to pay down your mortgage each month, four kitchens and bathrooms you can renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can afford? Which market and which deal is best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down by four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? These are all great questions, all to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devtha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four today and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. That's biggerpockets.com slash F-O-U-R. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.